for it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Oh, yeah. We've got you for 30 minutes. 30 minutes of playtime. Playtime. Welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, <laughs> a pictureless podcast highlighting the romantic, wacky, weird elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. I'm Noah Scott, once again, joined by the magnificent Brandon Riddle. Oh, my goodness. If you couldn't tell, we're doing Macho Man Randy Savage this episode. Uh, Bonesa is ready. Oh, God. And so if you couldn't tell, uh, that's going to be the whole episode. It's just going to be just totally obnoxious Randy Savage quotes. Uh, you're going to love it. I know it. Um, Brandon, what else were we doing tonight? Yeah, I got so caught up with Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, <laughs> but beyond beyond talking about him and his actual baseball history, um, we're going to talk a bit again about the pickle jar. Always a fan favorite. And oh, yeah. the, uh, tell a story about the best trade that never happened in baseball. Oh, I like that. And then it looks like we're going to be closing things out if we have time with a discussion about the American League and the National League, what we think they could do to better differentiate each other. Uh, But of course, like I said, we're starting with Macho Man Randy Savage and billing top billing, of course, the the main event uh, and his illustrious yet uh, brief minor league baseball career. So. For those of you that are unfamiliar, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, born Randy Mario <laughs> if, Poffo. If, if anyone is unfamiliar with Macho Man Randy Savage, they came into this episode just severely confused, and I apologize. <laughs> oh, they're definitely a little scared right now. I don't, that was a very aggressive uh, opening that we just had. <laughs> That's all right, though. Uh, I guess I guess a, a better uh, question to kick this off. Uh, obviously, for those of you that don't know, he is, in my opinion, the greatest wrestler of all time, or at least one of them. It, you know, people have those differing opinions. Uh, Brandon, did you ever watch a lot of wrestling growing up? Oh, I the late 90s. I watched it all the time. Okay. Um, late, late 90s, early 2000s. So again, the, the peak of my baseball fan have coincided with uh, wrestling as well. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. That's that's very American. Uh <laughs> I uh, I actually did not really watch much wrestling, if at all, because uh, well, my mom wouldn't let me when I was growing up. That's uh. you know, it's law of the law of the house. But uh, now you know, now I guess I'll I'll go on tonight. But I was now you're your own, your own man. You can do whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, uh, I was introduced uh, with his his pivotal cameo in the spider-man movie mm-hmm. uh, where he did play uh, bone saw mcgraw we'll get to, to that in just a he has second a last name yeah bone saw mcgraw they only call oh. him bone saw in the movie though but it's it's a good rhyme yeah okay um but yeah so i got a little bit of a later start on randy randy savage uh, more in like middle school high school when my friends uh you know introduced me to him and uh, the wwe but for those of you that don't know uh, like I said, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time uh, has one of the greatest commercials of all time when he did the Slim Jim commercials, you know, sl- snap into a Slim Jim. You got to say uh, it right, man. You got to say it right. You, I already did the first impression. You you hit this one. This is all you. Uh, okay, here we go. Snap into a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is just the first like 10 minutes of this. is just going to be us quote, just doing impressions, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Anyway, so... Randy Savage, uh, before he was the the great wrestler, before he was Bonesaw McGraw, he was born in Columbus, Ohio. Oh. Uh, he attended high school in Downers Grove, Illinois, and his father was a wrestler. However, 
he didn't immediately follow in his footsteps because he actually wanted to play baseball ever since he was seven or eight years old. He was the typical, like, you know, carried his glove and bat everywhere. <laughs> he loved going to Wrigley and Comiskey Park, loved the Cubs. Interestingly enough, his two favorite players, though, were Pete Rose and Johnny Bench. Uh, and he was so into it that his parents actually built him a batting cage wow. with a pitching machine. And growing up playing, you know, Little League, all all those lower levels, he was the kid. You know, every every neighborhood has the kid on the block that can hit balls over the fence and that everyone kind of thinks like this guy has a chance to mm-hmm. go pro. Right. That was Randy Savage. Well, well, you know what they say, Noah? What do they say? They say the cream rises to the top. <laughs> oh, I walked right into it. I walked right <laughs> into it. Uh, brutal indeed. Yeah. But uh, so he was a great baseball player growing up. Uh, he played baseball in high school where he was actually a two time all star. Uh, batted 500 as a junior, 525 as a senior and led his high school team to back to back conference titles. Uh, so, like I said, everyone really just assumed he was destined for MLB greatness. Mm-hmm. But. Weirdly oh, enough, no. he got no attention in the 1971 draft. He he was this great catching prospect, had power, but in 46 rounds, 66 catch, uh, excuse me, 48 rounds, 66 catchers were drafted. That that was one of the early like one of the first drafts, right? Wasn't draft first get like the mid late 60s? So maybe like the scouting network wasn't set up yet. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because it is early 70s, obviously scouting is not as you know, widespread or as advanced <laughs> as it is now. Uh, you had, literally had, had one guy covering four states who just exactly. like smoke. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's a little understandable that Randy might have fallen through the cracks, but that would not keep him down. So he and his he and his dad in 1971, they drove 283 miles uh, to St. Louis just for a tryout with the Cardinals. And uh, some of his friends actually said that, like, you know, they never they thought that he really never forgot about being ignored in the draft because mm-hmm. so many like 66 catchers are taken and and not him like like for being a you know hitting 500 back to back seasons. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's how you get a chip on your shoulder. Exactly. Exactly. Something that could one day, you know, catapult you to the top of the wrestling world. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Uh, <laughs> so they drove, you know, almost 300 miles to St. Louis for this tryout. Right. And out of 300 players, Randy Savage was the only one to get a contract. Granted, it was $500 a month, no bonus. But he got a contract as a high school catcher at, at 18. Like, that's really impressive. 300 people show up, and the only one that leaves with a check is, is you know, yeah, that's is the guy who drove 300 miles. That's, that, that's incredible. Uh, so, like I said, he signed as a catcher. Uh, but in the minors, he did mostly play in the outfield. Uh, of course, that was in part due to an injury that we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but some of the stories that really came out of his baseball days are really incredible. Uh, he was one of the first people uh, to really he had he pioneered one of the drills where you would swing a bat into a big, thick car tire to strengthen your wrists and your hands and to really drive through the ball. Uh, do, do you think he was doing that drill as practice or do you think he just really wanted to hit something and he had a bat in his hand? And he was like, oh, yeah, boom, (laughs) just got really hyped up on on the the activity. Yeah. Um, But as a prospect, you know, in high school, he was known he had this cannon of a right arm. He could make the throw home from the outfield like no problem. Right. And his his one of his friends actually claimed that growing up, Randy, when he would catch, he would throw the ball harder back to the pitcher. You know, he throw it harder than the actual pitch that he received (laughs) as the catcher, which I think is hilarious. 
but he was really just this this great you know really talented high school player he had power to all fields uh, but his work ethic was really his best tool and that's really what propelled him to greatness later on in his career uh, there's a fun anecdote that there was a competition in his junior high PE class uh, to do 100 sit-ups. And Randy did 1,000, which I just get Whew. this mental image in my head that everyone's just like, okay, is he done yet? Like, I want to go uh, home. Like, he's just like busting him out uh, in the like gym. A right? tiny 12-year-old macho man, Randy Savage, still with a full beard doing that. Got an APAC, yeah. <laughs> I guess you could say he's uh, too hot to handle and too cold to hold. Ooh. Uh, and a, a weird, I guess, side note that I pulled up when when reading into this was his dad actually at one point held the world record for sit-ups with something like 6,000 something. Really? Like, like in one sitting. Like, I mean, so you, you can kind of see see where he gets it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but so like I said, he was huge on his work ethic, a lot of drive, right? And there's a story about him. Uh, we'll get a little more into the nuts and bolts of his career in a second here. But there's a story that after he was released by the Cardinals, he signed with uh, the Reds and, you know, signed with their uh, their minor league team in Tampa. And he really wasn't hitting well at this time. He's batting only 232, although he did lead the team in home runs. But it was about that time everyone kind of figured like, OK, he's been a prospect for about three, four years now. Uh, he's probably hit his ceiling. Right. Uh, but one day, the general manager and uh, the manager of, of the Tampa minor league team, Russ Nixon, uh, they got to the field at 1 p.m. And they just heard this like clanking sound. They're like, what's going <laughs> on? And so they look out and Randy Savage just has buckets of baseballs in center field. And he's just beaming them to the plate, just just on a line, throwing them home. And the GM asks him, and he's like, what are you doing? You're the only guy out here. And he says, <laughs> I'm just trying to make myself more valuable. Which is such a oh, great quote. That's so good. Absolutely. Especially because, again, he, you know, fell through the cracks so often. And yeah. He's not even playing his position. And he's just out there doing what he can to become a better player. Exactly. Exactly. And it's it's really just, just it shows that mentality that he had, that he was going to be the last one on the field. He was going to work his way and really grind it out. Um, so I just, I love that quote. I, I really do. Um, so... He, he's in the minors, right? And his power really doesn't translate as well, although he still has some pop. And in part, this is due to he actually injured his throwing shoulder, his his right shoulder, uh, after a collision at home plate. But hmm. he just learned to throw as a lefty instead, because apparently wow. Randy Savage taught himself how to throw ambidextry. Excuse me, amphibiously. Thank you. Thank you for correcting <laughs> yep, yourself. <got> you. <laughs> Ambidextrously in high school in case he needed to pitch. There's this quote uh, from him that at the time he says, well, you know, a coach might, might want me to pitch, but I don't want to burn out my arm. So I'll learn to do it lefty and I'll save my right for the important things. Uh, it's just clear from the trajectory of his you know, wrestling career that when he had a goal in mind, he's going to get it no matter what. Like, yeah, this is a perfect example of that. That's incredible. Exactly. And I do kind of like the slight here that he says, like, yeah, pitching's not that important. So I'll just use my left arm. (laughs) Right. Pitching's easy. Come on, guys. Exactly. Exactly. And he just some of the stories that really come out of his minor league tenure are just great. Like uh, the fact that, you know, because like I said, his contract was really, really like pretty much nothing. He got like five hundred dollars a month. And so he had to save a lot of money and really be smart with his money. So what he did was he would target the 
uh, they're called bonus babies. The prospects that get the big signing bonus that are a little more well off than, you know, the other guys <laughs> that are really struggling to stay afloat. And he would target them and, and take their money when they would play like poker and play card games. So uh, he, he knew. <laughs> Yeah, and let's be real. If Macho Man, uh, you know, loses a poker game to you and he doesn't have the money to pay, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, so even it's at a, this time, he's a no-lose situation for him, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm not going to ask this guy for money. He's built like a <laughs> built like a skyscraper, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but that's that's kind of cool. And that that kind of feeds into that competitive nature that he had. Mm-hmm. You know, he had to he had to win. Um, and then this is another little aside that I found that I think is honestly really cute so when he was a catcher still a really loyal friend and one of his buddies was actually also in the minor leagues Uh, and one time randy was behind the plate and he was catching and his (laughs) friend was up to hit and he actually would like tell his buddy which pitches were coming so that he could you know get a better chance to hit i'm like that's a good friend right like the pitcher must have I wonder if the pitcher caught on at some point that this one guy is the only dude hitting me all night uh, happens to be friends but I want to one day talk with, you know, an umpire and, and get their views on those little back and forth between catchers and batters that no one else is going to hear except for the umps. Like, that has to be weird. Yeah. The umpire's thinking, why is this catcher telling, you know, whatever, man. Well, that's got to be hilarious, right? Oh, because, yeah. you know, you know, like Yachty, Yachty or Molina, you know, he's got to be talking some kind of some kind of trash to his buddies, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I yeah, I think that uh, just an aside, it'd be great to hear umpires mic'd up. Because oh, I yeah. want to hear, they would never agree to it, of course. Uh, but I would love to hear what's going on in the uh, in those you know environments. Now I kind of want to find out um, who was or who is the funniest catcher. Because if, if you put it like a stand-up um, as a catcher who's not standing up, who's in fact squatting, um, I'm sure you can get the batters to you know start cracking up during the middle of a pitch and wail <laughs> and miss ter- terribly. I, that might be the new inefficiency in the market: comedians as catchers. I like it. So, so we've moved on from from super spies catching to to comedians. Mm-hmm. I like Bingo. I like the the continuity <laughs> we've got here. Um, so let's actually talk about how you know his actual game performance, right? Because there's a common opinion that he wasn't good. Which, hey, it's fair. He obviously was not an excellent minor league player. Otherwise, he would have made the majors, right? So he has this career slash line. Uh, where he hit uh, 254, uh, 346 on base, 391 slugging. And this is through his four seasons in the minors. Uh, now, that's not terrible. And especially if you consider that, you know, for a catcher where there's lower offensive expectations, like yeah. I would take that. Granted, it's the minor leagues and it's also very low levels, like class A ball. But, you know, it's solid. Maybe not. As and, it's an the, and it's the mid 70s as well. That's not bad yeah. at all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, he had 16 home runs in his career, 129 RBIs, even stole a uh, base nine times. Okay. So already better than Tim Tebow. Um, <laughs> you had to get that in there, didn't you? Oh, I had to. I had to sneak it in. So Randy's best year was in 1973 when he finished with a 282 average and an 841 oh. on base plus slugging percentage. Solid. However, he actually started off hitting 344 in his first 25 games, started off just on a tear uh, and actually was promoted midway through the season to class a. And he, everything looked like, you know, Randy was figuring it out, but ah, he got hurt. Like I said, he had that shoulder injury and that collision at home and he was released by the Cardinals uh, after just a couple of seasons. Uh, 
fast forward to 1974, and uh, that was his last year in baseball, at only 21 years old. Now, overall, I maintain he really wasn't as bad as many people think. And when you really dig in, you see, yeah, that shoulder injury, obviously, that Mm -hmm. sapped a lot of his power. But in addition to that, he I'm looking at it and he had a below average batting average on balls in play. Uh, He was getting unlucky on a lot of the balls that he that he, you know, actually made contact with and put put in play. And the park that he was in in the minors was just this, I guess, equivalent of like a Home Depot, just this massive uh, you know, this place that really it contained his power and it really sapped those those home run mm-hmm. totals. And like I said, you know, power was one of his major tools uh, in high school and coming up. So overall, really not as bad as a lot of people think. Uh, and he was just a product of some unfortunate circumstances. However, like I said, this is just a prologue to, to Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> he, of course, moved to a, you know, his his wrestling uh, career full time in 1975 and then went on to become the intercontinental champion for 10,000 years. My that's man. pretty good. I think that's pretty. I, I think, think that might be a, I think that might be a record. We'll have to look that up. Yeah. 10,000 10, years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how long has Mike Trout even been MVP? Like, what? Like, maybe like four? Like 4,000? Yeah, he's not not even close. Yeah, so anyway, uh, while Macho Man Randy Savage, his his baseball career, it didn't pan out. But we did get the Macho Man as a result. So sometimes things work out in strange ways. We wouldn't have gotten Bonesaw McGraw, Mm. you know, and fighting Peter Parker if it weren't for uh, this shift. So... That is Macho Man Randy Savage and his uh, all too brief baseball career. Mm. I I'm still astounded that he like this is was a, a very new finding for me. And I no yeah. So for those of you uh, listening, we were doing an outline earlier, and originally there was somebody else um, he was going to talk about, and I was kind of looking at it, thinking that's fun, and then twenty minutes later, I look back and I see in all caps, Macho Man Randy Savage played baseball. yes this is going to be a good episode (laughs) yeah yeah i was if you couldn't tell by by the what like four or five oh yeahs at this point i was a little bit excited i'm not gonna lie now now speaking of the oh yeahs and the the macho mans uh we're gonna move on to the pickoff trivia and in this case it's going to be who said it is this a quote by yogi Berra or macho man randy (laughs) savage so noah you are on the hot seat here you have to get this I will. There's a couple okay. of them. All right, here we go. Um, <laughs> let's start with, I say I'm a million percent. That's better than a hundred percent. Macho Man or Yogi? This is, I just like to say, this is such a fun segment. I know. <laughs> I got so excited. It's a, it's a toss-up, a million percent or a hundred percent, because I feel like that's, so on one side, you've got Yogi Berra just saying the most weird nonsensical like but Mm -hmm. also does kind of make a little bit of sense right he's got some weird quotes and then you have like just the bravado and and everything that goes into the yeah the machismo that goes into you know the you know being a wwe superstar you know all of the you know you're playing it up with the Mm -hmm. with the fun quotes i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with macho man you're exactly right ding 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 (laughs) (laughs) all right um Let's see. You can't let anyone walk over you or everybody will walk all over you. That's Yogi Berra, I think. Macho Man. 
Are these all going to be macho? <laughs> I thought about it. I really thought about okay. it. Okay. Well, and now we're in a tough spot because now you're thinking they can't do three macho mans in the row. This one has to be Yogi, right? It's it's like when a pitcher throws like three straight curveballs, it's like or well, two straight curveballs. It's like he's not going to do oh, it right, again. Right? Not again. And I think oh, I have gosh. the perfect quote then. Okay. If you ask me anything I don't know, I'm not going to answer. I'm going to go with Yogi Berra. Yeah, you got that one right. Okay, that's Yogi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll take two for three. I, I feel like that's a respectable. That's hitting six hundred. That's a Hall of Fame. Stat right, line. Uh, I'll just do uh, two more. Okay, um, okay. I'm here. Usually, for it. you're dead to get your own museum, but I'm still alive to see mine. Can you? I, I missed the first part of that. What was it? Usually, you're dead to get your own museum, but I'm still alive to see mine. Ah, jeez. This is really exposing my. My either, <laughs> my my either lack of Macho Man knowledge yeah, or my lack Macho of Man Yogi IQ, yeah. yeah. Um, your own museum. I'm gonna actually go with Yogi Berra on this one. Was was I right? You're right. That that is Yogi. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, last one. Okay. Let me tell you now. A man in my position can afford to look ridiculous at any time. That's Macho Man. One hundred percent. Macho Man. Yeah, of course. You know that one, Macho yeah. Man. I, I I recognize that one for sure. <laughs> Oh, well, you did a pretty good job there. That was Thank solid. You. Yeah, I, I missed one. I think you missed one or two. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But on this was so much fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, even though we're pro- like, can we still take this concept to the future? Just even though we're not gonna do, probably not gonna do Macho Man again, I would love this to be like aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The next guest uh, that comes on, we're gonna blindside them with Stone Cold Steve Austin quotes. It's gonna be great. I love it. I love it. Ah, uh, that's. That's something. Okay. So obviously Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, his MLB career, it didn't pan out. It, it, it didn't happen for him. Now Brandon is going to talk about the best trade to never happen. Brandon, what nice are we transition. what are we talking about here? Thank you. So this best trade that never happens is a absolute legend in baseball. There's a very good chance you've at least heard this mentioned at some point in the fandom. Um, it involved two generational talents, three generation talents, actually, for the full story. Uh, so who is, Noah, who, who would you consider to be the greatest hitter of all time? Like, not Bonds category. <laughs> Kelby Tomlinson. Kelby Tomlinson. Okay, well, who's the second greatest hitter of all time? Uh, I'm going to go with Teddy Ballgame, Ted Williams. Yeah, Teddy Ballgame. Ted Williams, of course, the Red Sox legends, um, all-century team, absolutely. Uh, He is involved in this potential trade, and it's tough to imagine um, that you could even think about trading the splendid splinter, just how mind-boggling good he was. It's like trading Mookie Uh, Betts. Like, who does that? uh, Yeah. (laughs) There's your Mookie reference for the for, this, for the show, drink. folks. <laughs> <laughs> but then you can then you think about what kind of return could he get for Ted Williams, and then you kind of get some fun thoughts. And this started percolating uh, with the owner of the Red Sox, Tom Yaki. Uh, he was very good friends with uh, the Yankees owner at the time, and of course the Yankees they have their own superstar who just fresh off 56 games in a row. Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. So I'm going to take us back just a little bit now. Uh, So it's going to involve those two players. Uh, But this happened in the 1946 offseason. 
And the 46th season was an odd one because it was the first year back for a lot of the players from the war. Uh, Ted Williams coming back, Joe DiMaggio finally coming back from war. They just lost three years of their prime you know, careers. And so they kind of take some time to get back into the rhythm. At least you would think. Um, so uh, Ted Williams, for most of the year, actually, uh, had some kind of trade rumors swirling around him, especially late in the season. Um, and it didn't help matters that the Red Sox finally reached the World Series in 1946, which was great for them. Uh, but then right before the, the game started, uh, a few days earlier, they played an exhibition game against All-Star Team. Now, think about that for a second. Your team is about to go to the World Series, your first win in decades, and you're going to play an exhibition game? Can, can you imagine that happening today? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, of course, what happens at this exhibition game? Uh, Ted Williams gets beamed in the elbow uh. and has to get taken back for x-rays. And they say it came back negative, uh, but then he said later on that it, it swelled up like a boiled egg. And it was so bad, he couldn't swing a bat a day before the World Series started. Uh. So there's this star, trade wor- trade rumors going all around. He can't swing a bat, and he gets up to the biggest stage of his career, the World Series, and he goes 5 for 25 with one RBI the whole series because he can't swing a bat because he just got hit. <laughs> and wow. 50 years later, actually, um, in one of these retrospective interviews, someone asked Ted Williams, you know, you had this amazing career. Is there anything you do differently? And he said, yeah, I would have done better in the 46 World Series. God, I would have. <laughs> okay, not, I, I get that. It's not. I, I would have just not played in the ex- exhibition game or I would have ducked. It's like I would have hit better with my messed up arm. <laughs> I would have ducked. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a good one. Um, so he had a, a very poor World Series, and now the owners are kind of thinking, well, maybe Ted Williams can't isn't up to snuff. He's not up for the biggest stage. Maybe it's time to think about trading. And then they looked across the way to a Joe DiMaggio. Now, Joe was older than Ted Williams at this time. He was 32 years old. Um, he was not the same, especially because, again, three years off due to the war. Uh, but he's still an eight-time All-Star, two-time MVP, and he is Jolton Joe DiMaggio. It, Absolutely a superstar. Um, but again, this year was the first time he showed a decline. Instead of winning the MVP like he usually did, he finished 19th in voting. Which sounds bad, but still 19th He's MVP. Still that's that's yeah. a pretty solid player, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, and then the Yankees as a whole, they finished third for the first time in like forever. Like Shame These weren't the Bronx Bombers anymore. They were constantly winning World Series. They were in trouble. Poor guys. Yeah, so now you can understand with these two owners getting together and start spitballing, something might might happen here. So the legend goes, um, according to baseball historian Glenn Stout, uh, that the Red Sox owner and the Yankees owner, they met up in a fancy restaurant named, uh, oh, Toots Shore. <laughs> Toots Shore, yes, fancy Toots Shore. Uh, it's you know, a my, New York restaurant. Yeah, and it was one of you know uh, Joe DiMaggio's favorite places. Uh, Ernest Hemingway went there. You know, it, it was a who's who. One of those very New York nineteen forties yeah. places you can imagine. It, it's exactly that. Yeah, uh, Sinatra was there a lot. Yeah, Judy Garland, and um, so they're in this back room, cigar filled, smoke and drinking the bourbon because Tom loved his bourbon. And that's when they get the idea. Hey. What if we trade? I'm assuming this is exactly what he sounded like. Hey, what if we trade <laughs> my Ted Williams for your Joe DiMaggio? Think about it. Because the, the Red Sox Fenway is perfect for Jolton Joe swing. 
And Yankee Stadium is perfect for Ted Williams short swing with a short porch out in right field. This is they a thought, big you know, yeah. impressions. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that's exactly what Tom sounds of like. <laughs> and as the legend goes, they agree to this deal of swapping these two superstars. Uh, completely altering the course of baseball in that way. Uh, and then the next morning, Tom wakes up and one of a few things happens. Uh, well, first of all, he's hungover regardless. And then he saw the contract that he was trading away Ted Williams and he immediately tears it up and says, oh no, that was a terrible mistake. Let's never speak of this again. Um, another possibility is that it was only a verbal agreement. And then Yaki was like, no, just kidding. Not going to do that. But the third one is fascinating. Uh, this one is that it fell apart only because Tom Yaki wanted a third player included on this deal. And this third player was a 21 year old uh, rookie playing left field. And that was Lawrence Peter Barra, also known as Yogi. <laughs> wow. And two honestly, Famers. two Hall of Famers. And that Three. was before Yogi was Yogi. Um, yeah. He, he would go Peter. on to have a great season the very next year. Yeah. Uh, but think about that. Ted Williams for uh, four s- still great years at DiMaggio and then 20 of Barra. Would you make that trade? Yogi Bear and Joe DiMaggio for Ted Williams? Yeah, 20 years of Barra is pretty sick. But I then, mean, but don't forget, um, Ted Williams is still 27 years old oh, this time. So he still uh, has 13 years honestly, ready to go. I think when you factor in, you know, Ted Williams is the face of Boston at this point. No, I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, right. But in the name of winning ball games, especially yeah, with Yogi like, and DiMaggio, like you have to do that because it's Yogi and DiMaggio is not that old. He's 32. Like in baseball, in yeah, you he, know, for an athlete, sure. But you get 21 year old. Yogi Berra. I mean, obviously. Yeah, that, that's that's the game changer. I don't think I would do, especially considering the ages, Dimaggio for Williams, but throw a Yogi in there. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, that's tough to say no. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I just, I can't imagine the butterfly effect that would, that would come from that too. Yeah. No, it's a whole, it's a whole fascinating experience. Um, you know, would the Yankees continue to win world series next decade without Berra as, you know, the backstop yeah. with, as, as like the captain there. And, but but then Ted again, Williams. we have Ted Williams at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> Ted Williams He's going to break would, some would records. Make it back, yeah, because because that was his uh, forty six was his only World Series, right? That's correct. His only time. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. That's wild. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, of course, there are no reporters to report on that story. You know, the day of, there was yeah. no like Tom Vaducci tweeting it out. It's like, hey, I just saw these guys in the bar. See. Um, you know, it, it was actually reported 30 years later uh, by the historian Glenn Stout and everyone seemed to say yeah this this happens so there that we go really, a little bit of a baseball that, what could have been a that really reminds me of I mean I'm sure everyone has at least some similar experience but like you know when you're hanging out with your buddies you're you know drinking a little bit and you do those like entertain some wild fantasy baseball trades except this is with two of the most valuable franchises in sports oh, <laughs> like it's like okay but, right. but what if i did give you mike trout for juan soto just just hypothetically you know like <laughs> i mean i mean who's to say no <laughs> right right like you know it's you're both kind of like teasing it but deep down uh, you're like, okay maybe maybe i am into it All right, we got a fun pickle jar today uh, that I'm looking at right now. Uh, Brandon, what's our word? Oh, my goodness. Our word is worm burner. 
Worm, worm burner like insect like worm has burner. is it yeah is a little squiggly thing in the dirt worm burner yeah i had never heard about this before you texted to me like oh hey i, I saw this mentioned the other day yeah let's talk about it what is it <laughs> yeah so uh worm burner like brandon mentioned is one of those weird baseball terms that i just happened to hear uh the uh joe davis the dodgers play-by-play guy he uses a lot of those kinds of terms like he says Baltimore chop a lot uh, and he really likes the worm burner term. So that's where mm-hmm. I initially heard it. And I ended up asking my friend uh, Javon, uh, who talked about a little bit a couple episodes ago. Uh, and I was like, Javon, what does this mean? Like, what do you think this is? Uh, and not being as well versed in the baseball lingo, his initial response was solid. He said, it's like a nutmeg in soccer. Uh, you know, when a ball goes through your legs and then he gave me <laughs> Oh, he goodness. Said it, when it goes through the worms, which I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, th- I think after you say it goes th- the, like a nutmeg going through your legs, it goes through the worms. I think you have to say, oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> he said it goes through the worms. I, I just think of like that is the most ridiculous phrase I've ever heard. But uh, I, well, I, I love the creativity. What did yeah. uh, did we have Courtney this week? Yeah, no, we got a friend of the show, Courtney. All and right. I, I called her as she was watching Star Wars. And then she goes, um. Is it somebody that sits on the bench, like someone that's not very good? Okay. Worm burner. Okay. There's some wor- worms in that wood, and they're just burning <laughs> it because they're sitting on it. Sure. It could, it could make sense. But, uh, but what is it? So uh, worm burner, uh, to my knowledge, is a scorching ground ball. Uh, however, it's not a traditional ground ball in the sense that it hops, right? So it's really mm-hmm. just just skimming across the grass, uh, hence burning the worms. Uh, so if there's like longer grass, you might see ground balls tend to do this a little more. But essentially, it's it's a phrase meaning, yeah, it's it's just going, going right. along the ground. It's burning the worms in the dirt. And I found out that baseball actually adopted this term. It, it didn't start out as, you know, a, a baseball in the baseball lexicon. Uh, yeah. It was borrowed from golf. Um, so imagine like you're hitting a punch shot and the, the golf ball just skims right over the grass. Then they called it the worm burner in the sixties. It's, it's really interesting how much baseball borrows from golf because there's slang stuff. I know that, uh, you know, in terms of analytics, the Hawkeye, uh, pitch tracking system originated uh, with golfers wanting more information on, on their, their swings and, you know, where the ball was going. Hmm, so I think there's, there's a really interesting, uh, yeah. You know, and relationship. like the, the, the first uh, overlap I can think of off the top of my head between baseball and golf is there's a long drive oh, right down the fairway, a deep to center. Yep. Um, <laughs> So just moving on a little bit from the pickle jar, we're going to close it out tonight with a discussion. Now, I know where Brandon sits on this, but we're going to talk about the National League and the American League. However, we're not going to just give you a basic. This is why the National League is better. This is why the American League is better, uh, because unfortunately, both Brandon and I, both senior circuit NL guys, we've had to come to terms with the fact that the designated hitter, it's inevitable at this point. So. That, that was a big sigh. Uh, so what rule would you put in place to differentiate the two leagues? And before we go into that, that's that's kind of what I wanted to just preface is that's the cool thing about baseball for me, yeah. Brandon, is that it's not like football. It's not like basketball where there's conferences. It is two separate leagues, mm-hmm. right? And they have their own separate rule sets. And for those of the for, you know, because we 
this this podcast is for everybody. Uh, for those of you that aren't aware, the designated hitter is only in the American League in which you have a, well, a designated hitter to bat for the pitchers because, well, pitchers are not good at hitting because they never practice it. So in the National League, some people think that that gives it a little bit more of a strategic uh, sense because you've got to bat around or you've really got to strategize around this hole in your lineup. You also get double switches, which is when a manager takes out a pitcher and plugs in a position player and messes with the batting lineup just to put it in pure, very simple terms. Uh, but I really like that there's two different rule sets. Brandon, is that mm-hmm. what, what draws you to the National League? That's like baseball in general, like you said. I, I love it because there are two distinct sets of rules. No one's going to go to a Cleveland game and think they're in you know, Dodger Stadium, for example, just because of the rules that are different. And I always loved the idea, especially earlier in the decades, uh, that these two leagues would never see each other except for the All-Star game and the World Series. Like, it's a colliding collision of worlds. And I love that so much. It's still the same great game. Of course, I'd watch it either way. But I just love that small little detail that's different that no other league Uh, at least in this country, has. And that's a really good point that you make because up until very recently, the 1990s, these teams really only played each other in the World Series Mm -hmm. because interleague play was not a thing. There was always this mystique around these other teams, these other players, um, especially before, you know, cable blew up that you read about them in the newspaper, maybe you heard about them as they're talking about, you know, in the sportscast. But for the most part, they're just mythological beings that exist somewhere outside your purview like they just exist and it's great and so when you finally get to see them it made it even more special so yes the designated hitter is going to arrive i know that in the league play is here to stay get off my porch i I get it (laughs) but how then would we keep that special feeling of baseball alive and still separate the two leagues in some type of rule um I see Noah put down an idea early on. What's your idea? How would you differentiate the leagues? Okay, so my initial reaction, obviously, I'm cutting all of the sleeves off of the jerseys for one league. The Reds did it (laughs) like a year and a half ago or something, and and it was just welcome to the gun show. You had Derek Dietrich just (laughs) like, like, it was I remember that. You know, you don't really need sleeves for baseball that much. I mean, guys are going to get sunburned, I guess, but that, like, I thought it was really cool. And obviously, that's. A pretty jokey kind of answer here. Uh, But before I bounce it back to you, Brandon, I will go on record that the past season with the DH, I have seen many benefits to it because I, you know, it's hard to go back after. after That's that's sounding... That's sounding quite sacrilegious of you. I'm Noah. not apologizing. I I still prefer <laughs> the original rule set, and I will, you know, even though I'm probably wrong, I will take that to my grave. Now, and now, <laughs> one one kind of fun idea that we could restrict just the NL, for example, okay. since DH is coming. Uh, this is the idea floating around called the double duty uh, designated hitter. I mean, double duty. I think that was what it's called. Uh, but basically, is you would have your designated hitter. All the way until your starting pitcher gets pulled from the game. At that point, you lose designated hitter and the pitcher goes back to hitting for themselves. Uh, so I think that will be a good meet in the middle for the National League. Uh, the American League can keep the full DH. That's mm-hmm. fine. Y'all do you. Uh, but for the National League, just to keep it slightly different. And you know, us NL fans, were on the high horse thinking about strategy and thinking <laughs> ahead in the games. Uh, that's a good way to do that as well, to kind of keep that intangible in the game. Um, so that double do the designated hitter whatever that's called i think that's a good halfway point for the nl 
it's it also presents a very interesting conversation because now instead of starters hitting where NL starters at least get some opportunity throughout the season, at least currently to walk up to the plate. Now you're going to get relievers hitting and relievers are even worse Don't. than pitcher than than starters and, somehow. Yeah. <laughs> And that's one of the issues I saw uh, late in the games. Anyway, pitchers never hit for themselves anyway. Exactly. Uh, so I, I think the only penalty would be that you're losing your potential best hitter. Yeah, I know that's different argument there, uh-huh. uh, but you still have, you know, bench players ready to fill in because those pitchers will still never hit again. You just happen to lose one player off your bench for the designated hitter. Uh, but still, I I also want to see pitchers go deeper in the games. I miss shutouts, even though Bumgarner yeah. just got the unofficial no hitter. Woo! Um, <laughs> I, I still miss seeing pitchers go deep often, and that is a way to encourage uh, pitchers going a little further in the games. Yeah, I because I they keep the DH behind them. I agree. Now, what's your what's your rule to to differentiate the leagues? Um, so besides having the NL have that type of mm-hmm. DH. Um, I would love for the American League uh, to always wear the White Sox shorts from the from the seventies. They had the little <laughs> softball shorts. They played a couple games of them. All right. um, I want every American League team in shorts. You're gonna cut down on stolen bases because <laughs> everyone's just gonna be too too burned up from raspberries. No one's ever gonna want to. No, slide. they can they they can all put their um, sliding gloves on and go head first. It's fine. But their legs. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> go head first. Okay. <laughs> yeah, those uh, those jerseys real or those shorts, I guess, really did not go over very well in the seventies. <laughs> no, can't can't imagine why. But uh, yeah, so that is our discussion and we are running up on our time here tonight so i have in our notes thank the guests for coming on the show but we we were the guests thank you brandon thank i had you, a great th- time yeah, th- thank you noah well yeah, done yeah pat, pat ourselves on the back <laughs> um so thank you all for joining us those of you listening and be sure to check out picture list and take a look at joining pl plus because you get to join a community of really really cool and really really welcoming baseball minded people talking fantasy talking talk with us about weird baseball history it's a great time also be sure to follow short hops and tall tales along on twitter at short hops pl follow brandon at bd riddle and myself at noah a scott six and if you like what you're listening or if you like what you're hearing i guess subscribe to us on apple podcasts spotify stitcher wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review if you like so for brandon riddle i'm noah scott and this has been the short hops and tall tales podcast see you next time